2: Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash business Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to gain recognition as a wonderful resource for uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals. This is because uh, some incredible people with wonderful knowledge uh, join me to have a conversation where they share their knowledge with all of you so that you can pick what you need, learn from it, grab their book, you know, whatever uh, suits your fancy and uh, apply these things in your business so that you can be more successful. Today we have such a person, my guest today is Peter Sage. Peter is a leading, well-known international serial entrepreneur with over 20 startups to his credit. Some of them, like the Energy Fitness brand, have grown into global success stories. He was named one of the greatest leaders and entrepreneurs of 2015 by Inspiring Leadership Now, alongside Sir Richard Branson, Elon Musk. And Mark Zuckerberg, and is an international number one best-selling author. Thanks so much for joining me today, Peter.
1: Well, Diane, it's an absolute pleasure. It's uh, it's great to be able to get together as uh, as we have. So, always looking forward to a conversation like this.
2: Oh, me too. And I love this subject. We're going to be talking about living the life of an extreme entrepreneur. Hmm. Which, uh, you know, first of all. would you define, you know, what what you believe is an extreme entrepreneur?
1: Uh, yes, I like? mean, I think that the defining characteristic of an entrepreneur is really the ability to handle uncertainty, and yeah, that is obviously a scale. And depending on how far up the scale you go or the level of extremity, I guess would sort of correlate to the label. So somebody who is, I guess, able to process fear at a certain level um, would be classed as an entrepreneur be able to handle uncertainty, but somebody who has absolutely no fear, willing to swing the bat, go to Vegas, put it all on red, you know, lose everything, smile through it, get up and go again. Uh, and not just look at being able to create ideas that, that change their life, but ideas that can change their community, their country, the world. Uh, and that's really what I mean by an extreme entrepreneur, somebody that is completely you know, fearless and unemployable.
2: <laughs> I love that. Unemployable. I often say I, I'm, would make a terrible employee if I had to go back. Right. So that's so interesting. Okay. And, and do you, so, do you think anyone can be an extreme entrepreneur or that you know, can, can they grab onto this uh, fearlessness or? Uh, is something no. that we're uh,
1: of- I don't, I don't think so. And I don't say that through some sort of, you know, hierarchy or, or significance based ego trip. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing better or worse than any other label. Um, yeah. It's really where your predis- you know, predisposition lies. You know, can anybody be an entrepreneur? 100%. Is everybody going to have a natural you know, affinity for fearlessness or letting go of uncertainty at an at extreme level? No, and nor should they. You know, that, leave that to the crazies and the mavericks. Uh, yeah uh yeah not, not everyone wants to be a high stake player in vegas so right. you know, it's it's a case of you know finding out what your comfort zone is and then just exploring beyond it and sort of testing the water and growing out that way i mean i never started out as an extreme entrepreneur i just had some basic beliefs around life and you know really followed those into the journey that it's taken me on yeah so yeah, you know, it's, it's like you know what about an extreme race car driver well can anybody get a driving license well of course does anybody does everybody want to be a race car driver no and and does anybody that becomes a race car driver want to become you know a, a test driver for a new kind of you know prototype that you know, hasn't got all of the safety track record behind it no so it's just different characteristics on how you apply it and i just happen to be one of those guys that seems to be you know, somewhat devoid of intelligence sometimes when it comes to <laughs> run, running off on crazy ideas that uh, that have very little certainty about them
2: Okay, so um, I, I believe that there is some level of uncertainty for all of us when we venture into these things, uh, for however much we plan, you know, that there is just some um, degree of uncertainty for anybody starting a business, but I like this idea that we uh, need to be where we are and then you know maybe push it a little bit you know be willing to uh feel that uncertainty and do something with it as opposed to letting it uh, consume us
1: yeah 100 and there's two major factors there that i think i'll highlight for the audience that i found and this isn't just um benchmarks for becoming an entrepreneur or a business owner this is a benchmark for essentially the emotional emotional maturity of life in fact when you look at the the stepping stones in the maturation of the human psyche, there are there are two things that stand out for me. both just happen to apply very strongly to entrepreneurship because as you said, there is no certainty in life, let alone certainty in business. Yeah, but business offers less certainty when it comes to the financial level of reward because we're not settling or selling ourselves out for a paycheck. but the two predominant milestones that I would say, uh, in the human experience here. One is when you become okay with the fact that you're not going to be liked. Uh, yeah, that That's just standard. That's part of the emotional maturity that should be taught to kids when they leave school. Otherwise, you know, we run around uh, trying to uh, act in a certain way, which is inauthentic, in order to get recognition, approval, love, connection, validation, likes, thumbs up, and and essentially anything that would counter criticism or negativity and so yeah that is a, a key skill, certainly as a business owner, because all of your friends who think that you go are crazy are going to try to talk you out of it, and you 're going to take that as criticism, and that 's usually the death where most business opportunities stop and get buried right there yeah. And then the second uh, and probably the biggest level of emotional maturity in terms of the the stepping stone comes back to what I said about, uh, and you highlighted there about comfort zone. It's when you realize that life itself is a growth-centric experience, not a comfort zone-centric experience. And when we wake up and realize that, that the two biggest Lessons and and, attributes of nature are growth and contribution. We grow so that we can give more of who we are and the gift we have. And the only way we grow, go to the gym, is through challenge, through adversity, through having a lot of weight on the bar that taxes the muscles beyond their current capacity. And so, when we know that life is a growth centric experience, business is a growth centric path. Yeah, you know, you're not going to start a business with total certainty of it's, it's succeeding. And anyone that waits until that happens is going to be an employee for the rest of their life. So, those two aspects, yeah, you know, wait till you, yeah, you know, be okay not being liked. That's the first step. You know, when I was 21, I think, I remember turning around to my friends and saying, when I get as many hate websites as Bill Gates, I know I'll be doing well. You know, everybody else's opinion of me is none of my business. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise I couldn't go and do what I do. Right? So, yeah, and then when I realized that life is a growth centric experience, I, but I'm an athlete, I'm here to go to the gym. I'm here because I'm trying to get a gold medal and win the race, not to try to hide away from the personal trainer that's looking for me, right. Because he makes me throw up in an hour. Yeah. No, if I don't throw up in an hour as an athlete, I want my money back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? so, right. so that's the mindset that I come, come to the table with.
2: I just love this. I even wrote it down. Life itself is a growth-centric experience. Ah.
1: Yeah, if you don't have that frame of reference, if you don't have that context, you spend your entire life fearful and trying to avoid opportunities that we call adversity, trying to avoid avoid challenges, criticizing things when they don't fit our pictures, taking on the victim story rather than the hero story. Yeah, it's, it's not about you know, how, how great things are when the sun's out and you're kicking back with a margarita. It's about when, you, when you're at your lowest point, when you're at the rock bottom, who shows up then? Yeah, the, the Running from the back is always far more impressive than running from the front. Anyone can run from the front, but if you fall back, you trip over, you're at the back of the pack and you still got to get up and go for it. Yeah, that's, that's where life is lived. That's where the experience, the joy, the juice, the, you know, the growth, the, you know, everything that makes you who you are at the deepest level gets forged. You know, steel doesn't ha- you know, happen in an ice tray. You know, it happens in a furnace. <laughs> huh? Yeah. So you know, that, that's my philosophy and it serves me well.
2: Yeah. No kidding. I'll bet. Okay. So, so you've talked about adversity and, and uh, you know, there's, a belief that we learn from our failures, not our successes, and that adversity, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and all of that. But what do you think is like the most practical thing someone can do to take adversity and turn it into advantage?
1: Perfect. Ask better questions. Yeah, the, the, the challenge is that mm-hmm. when the outer world doesn't fit the pictures of what we think it should look like on our inner world, which, you know, what we label adversity then you know, we, we tend to have the opportunity to ask better questions. See, questions are the steering wheel of the mind. And the challenge is when adversity shows up, most people ask the wrong questions. Why is this happening to me? You know, oh, why am I so unlucky? Um, oh, why couldn't it have gone the other way? All of that. And the, the brain is like a, a Labrador. It's a faithful dog. And its job, when you throw a question, like throwing a stick, its job is to go and fetch it and bring back you know, the answer. And most of the time, if you say, oh, why did that happen to me? The brain's got to find an answer. It doesn't matter what kind of answer it is, but it'll probably come back and say, because you're just unlucky, because you're a schmuck, because your teacher said you were no good at school. Whatever it is, it'll find an answer. So the key to turning adversity to your advantage is to ask better questions. You know, what's great about this I've not noticed yet? Now, what's what's the gift in this that I'm sure is around the corner? How can I learn from this in a way that adds value to me in the rest of my life? Now, how can I avoid being a victim and use this to actually empower and inspire others rather than hide behind you know, a whole series of excuses? Yeah. So, asking those kind of questions is a great first step because it'll lead you to get your own answers that are more empowering than disempowering. Does that make sense? Oh,
2: completely. Yes. It it makes perfect sense. It just and changes the whole um, energy around whatever the situation
1: is. Absolutely. The the great Napoleon Hill, the the author of Think and Grow Rich, which arguably started the personal growth and positive thinking movement, uh, he had an amazing quote. He said that every adversity carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Now, the challenge is that most people are too busy complaining about the adversity to water the seed. You see, to me, I think all of the gifts in life that have the most meaning are wrapped in a very thin layer of wrapping paper called adversity so that somebody else doesn't steal your gift. Yeah.
2: That's so interesting. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm sort of, you know, so sitting on that because I find that so incredibly impactful. Uh, And something that even I think people who are usually uh, positive and, and possibilities thinkers still need to remember. Like I consider myself a possibilities thinker and I still need to remember that asking better questions and looking at things through a different lens is critically important because it's so easy to go the other way.
1: Yeah. And when you know, and that life is a growth-centric experience. I mean, let, let's go to a, a fractal example of school. So if you didn't know what school was about, yeah, you'd be asking questions and complaining. But I said, Why am I being told to sit in this room for hours at a time? Why am I being told to go down the corridor? Why am I being given these tests and exams? Why am I being judged on whether, how good my memory is to the end? Yeah? Why have I got to go to school today? All of that stuff would be you know, valid questions if you didn't have context for understanding what school was. Yeah. So, But if you understand the basis of school, it doesn't change the lessons, it doesn't change the exams, but now you've got a, a context for understanding it. But If the teachers came tomorrow and said, hey, listen, good news, guys, nobody has to come back to school, yeah, it's completely voluntary, there's going to be no more exams, no more tests, whoopee-doo. Oh, by the way, nobody graduates. And you say, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, you know, the, the reason I'm paying all this money out for my education is so that I can graduate. I do want to show up and I do want to get my head stuck in. Oh, okay, then, well, yeah, let's revert back. So, you now, if we're in Earth school, which I firmly believe we are, you now we are going to be tested to validate if we are good enough to yeah, know what it is that we think we know. And it's called a graduation event. And if you fail the graduation event, it'll come back and you'll have to resit the exam. And it won't be the same questions. It never is. But it'll be the same level of exam. And for some people, I mean, that's, that's their second failed business, or it's their third you know, mild heart attack. It's their third failed relationship. Are we learning the lessons that we're here to learn? Or are we too busy blaming the fact that this, you know, what's all this school thing about? By the very definition of knowing you're in school, you can expect an exam. How do you know anybody that's that's become successful, that hasn't gone through adversity, that hasn't been tested? Any business owner that just arrived on the planet and, and became successful and made loads of money? That doesn't happen. It's not meant to happen. Yeah, we're, you don't get a good body by going to the gym and not lifting the weights. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we're here. But if you know that in advance, then what does the game become? Is it a game of avoiding it? Is it the game of complaining about it? Or is it the game of embracing it and expecting it? Because that sets up the whole different relationship to you know, how you deal with life day to day.
2: Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, w- I want to shift this a little bit um, mm-hmm. because I I want to pull in technology into this conversation because mm-hmm. I feel like we're in this really strange place where suddenly we have all of this technology and we have all of these avenues and opportunities. And I, I feel like we're sort of looking at we're focusing on the wrong things when it comes to it, uh, which could be contributing to people's feelings of not knowing what to do or feeling like they're victims of, uh, you know, or they're just over their head or whatever. So I'm curious if you have some insights for, you know, business owners for how they cope with all of this, Insanity, I, I will call it, or racing technology to call it something better than insanity.
1: <laughs> yeah, it depends which side of the fence you want to look at. there, I think. Um,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, being honest, it's, technology is an accelerator, a multiplier, and a magnifier. So for example, if you as a business owner haven't got a functional relationship to time, yeah, I don't call it time management because you can't manage time anymore than you can manage a current of a river. You can only manage yourself better in relation to the current in the river. Uh, but if, yeah, so relate, if you've got a dysfunctional relationship to time, technology is going to magnify that dysfunction. Yeah, if you haven't figured out a better way to, to relate to time, now you've got yeah, technology is giving you way more things to try to figure out. If you've got a healthy relationship to time, then you can use technology to augment that because it's going over the top of a decent foundation. Yeah, it's like money. Money is just a magnifier. If you're yeah uh, tight, money's going to make you yeah more stingy. If you're generous, money's going to make you more generous. It's it's a magnifier. So knowing how to take a breath and realize that yes, it's important to have a relationship to technology that does not incite overwhelm, because overwhelm leads to confusion, which leads to inaction trying to master all of that is not going to happen. Ask better questions. What's most important to me? You know, what is the number one thing that I could focus on right now that would have the biggest impact in my business? Because if not, technology is going to throw its entire onslaught at you, and you're going to be running around like a headless chicken, and you know, all it's going to do is magnify a, a more dysfunctional relationship to being organized. And now you're going to try and get five different apps to make you organize, and Now you're going to be confused because you weren't organized in the first place.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can just see that. It's so true. Okay. So you, you were talking about school and, and I totally got the analogy and, um, you know, now we're talking about technology and so I, I want to marry the two mm-hmm. and see if, you have some, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like feedback on. It seems like people have decided that the way they're going to get the knowledge that they need, whether you know in their business or you know even in their personal life, is that they're going to take an online course or they're going to listen to podcasts as they're driving or exercising or whatever. Um, do you think there's a a particular reason why that's happening outside of uh, easy access? Is there something more to it?
1: Well, yes, I, I think so, definitely. I think that you know, we're living in the time in human history that is completely unprecedented, where we now have a low barrier to entry to information that used to be either unavailable or too expensive. And yeah, and that, that's great. The, the challenge is there's a lot of good information that's getting lost in a minefield of, of fairly useless dribble. And if people are sold on the basis that all I need to do is to take a course in order to get better, then that right there is one of the biggest issues. Uh, And the challenge here, the pattern that I see running, human behavior is is one of my my passions, my game. I've studied it for 30 years. And the challenge here is it's a very common pattern, Diane, and that is that most people are looking for skills in order to replace a lack of certainty. Now, certainty is an internal frame of reference. You don't go to Walmart and buy two kilos of certainty. It's okay. something that can only happen inside. Skills are an external acquisition. But if you're looking to go externally to get skills in order to fill a void of certainty, it's rare that it happens. You know, I'm not saying that there's not a certain level of certainty required on a, a skill such as learning how to drive or be a doctor. Yeah, but even so, you don't get the skills so much from knowledge as experience. So, if you, for example, uh, you say, Oh, I want to learn you know, relationship building, and I, I go and take a course on how to you know, uh, uh, build rapport and uh, whatever it is, because uh, you're looking for certainty on how you can have better relationships with people, either you know, intimate partners or customers or what have you. And so, you go take a course, and guess what? You still don't have the certainty, all you have is more skills. So what do you do? Oh, now I need to take the advanced course. Ah, it must, the certainty I'm looking for must be on the end of that. And it's not. So you take the advanced course. Now you take the trainer course. Now train the trainer. Now train the trainer's trainer. Whatever. It doesn't end because you're trying to get certainty from an external source. If you sit there and you you understand that you already are that which you seek and you stop chasing the rabbit of fulfillment on the track of achievements, because the two are mutually exclusive, you can then decide to go and add skills to a foundation of certainty. But if you're entering the game, hoping skills will give you certainty, I've got news for you. They're just gonna give you more skills. And so learning from a podcast is a great way to be able to get access to information that's relevant and cheap, but it doesn't solve the underlying pattern that a lot of people are running. Now, the other side to that that coin yeah, is that, you know, if you are looking to learn uh, or acquire knowledge, uh, just because it's available, sometimes it's so easily available we discount it. You know, the reason a lot of people go to school uh, and get a degree in education is because, you know, and they feel good about it, is because it's taken so long to be able to do it, and the barrier to entry is not that easy. But the challenge right now and the reason why this is becoming such a great um, uh, vehicle to, to learn and acquire knowledge through online courses is that the traditional education system, which gets a pretty bad rap, um, is, is under fire and it's out of date. Uh, and that's, that's you know, something to ponder here because there's a lot of people on the quest, oh, the education system teaches you nothing. Yeah, it teaches you how to pass tests and work for somebody else. Yeah, we get that. But there's, you've got to understand something. The education system is absolutely perfect. It is brilliant. It is completely fulfilling the role of what it was designed to do, which is transition a feudal economy out into a post-industrial revolution society where you were now operating something called machinery and you had to have all creativity bred out of you. You had to have discipline instilled. You had to show up on time. You had to be a slave to conform because you don't want somebody pressing the big red button they're not meant to press or pulling the lever they're not meant to press because they decided to get creative and all of a sudden now it's going to hurt them or other people or not show up on time because they haven't got the discipline or not remember how to use the machine because they didn't learn by rote what it was that they're meant to learn the challenge is we don't live in a post-industrial revolution society that's trying to get feudal people into a, a, an economy no we live in a 21st century society where creativity, entrepreneurship, free thinking, yeah, and self-discipline yeah, out of conformity is absolutely crucial for humanity to survive. So yeah, don't knock education system because it just it's, it's doing what it was designed to do, but it just needs upgrading into 21st century. And that's why I think the great Jim Rohn said, you know, formal education may help you make a living, which you know, by all accounts right now is not even close, but informal yeah. education can help you make a fortune. You know, I'd probably put over the top of that, informal education will help you make a difference. Yeah, because now we're into an economy of adding value, not taking stuff. That was the 80s, Yeah, right. you, you get money by adding value. So informal education will give you the tools to go make and get a difference with, which by adding that value, people will reward you with the medium of exchange we call money.
2: Okay. One of the things I find so interesting about this, I completely agree with you. And one of the things I find so interesting is that I I feel like the more we seek uh, these skill sets to um, decrease uncertainty, I, I think it actually increases insecurity. Because yep. you know when we don't get that certainty, I think it makes it worse for people because I think they feel like, well i'm just not getting it there must be something wrong with me supposedly this program is really successful so what am i doing wrong maybe i'm not cut out for this when really as you say what they're doing it you know they're 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 looking at the wrong solution to their situation
1: so it's the wrong end of the telescope to look through and they've they've got a yeah a trillion-dollar economy called consumerism, which is very happy to back that up by telling that, yeah, of course, yeah, it's you're the problem. So, uh, but the good news is we've got another solution for you, and we take Visa, Amex, and Mastercard.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's really not great. So got, let's got talk about certainty. Power yeah, all right, but so let's talk about certainty. Mm-hmm. Are there things in the world that are certain, and if so, what?
1: Certainty is a state of mind. Okay. Certainty. If if you want to if you want to develop a healthy relationship between certainty and uncertainty, become massively certain that you can handle uncertainty. <laughs> because uncertainty is part of the game. Uh, ultimately, most people are, are are afraid at a fundamental core of the primary human fear. Yeah, and that is the fear that we're not enough. And ultimately, if you peel back the onion one more layer, then you know that we won't be loved. So. Yeah, if you haven't reconciled that, if you haven't come to terms with that you were born good enough, if you haven't come to terms with the fact that there is no certainty in life, deal with it. Yeah, the, 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 the most important thing that I teach people, as simple as it sounds, is to make a list of what they're grateful for. Yeah. Because the contrast frame is so easy to miss. You know, most people are upset because of the state of the economy. Oh, really? How about you're born 500 years ago in, yeah, in Botswana? Yeah, how about 50 years ago in Sierra Leone? Yeah, how about you know, 20, yeah, 100 years ago with no antibiotics? Yeah, are you absolutely kidding me? Mm, is there any certainty? No. So what does that really mean? You're scared of what? You're either scared of not being good enough because society has imposed a condition on you that says you have to be a certain height, weight, look, status, wealth, you know, bank account in order to get approval from everybody else that really doesn't care or you know, you're scared of what it means ultimately in terms of death because you haven't reconciled what death means for you You see everything in the physical world is subject to the law of impermanence you now are we going to die well yeah you know, this physical body does Yeah, you know, kind of has a time limit guys and you know, if if you ignore that it just simply means that you are either you know sticking your head in the sand or you haven't reconciled what it is see for me death isn't the opposite of life death is simply the opposite of birth yeah how do, you kill a spirit? how do you kill a spirit how do you how do you kill consciousness see the newtonian paradigm still thinks that the brain creates consciousness and guess what the brain has never been proved to create consciousness and never will the brain doesn't create consciousness any more than the television creates its own programs so if you know that the part, part of you that's immortal that's going to just sell this old car and go buy another one and enter another movie just as actors are starring in their current movie, and there's a final scene, and then they go where they went before that movie, and they go look at another script, and they come back and film another movie. And there's going to be different people in that movie, and they're going to make friends, and maybe they get to work with some people they worked on a set before. But that's the journey of being an actor. And, you know, I think we're all acting in the star of the movie of our life. And our job here is to become better examples of the actors we can be by learning how to grow up emotionally and spiritually, not just chronologically. That's my take.
2: I love it. That is so great. All right. I have to take a quick sponsor break and then I want to keep going with this. (laughs) Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash growth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial as a service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are The Inside Track by our very own guest, Peter Sage, and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Peter Sage about living the life of an extreme entrepreneur. So given everything that we've talked about and, and the state of the world as it stands at this point, would you advise entrepreneurs to read the news or not?
1: sorry (laughs) I I, I actually that couldn't help laughing there um no uh not in a million years uh yeah if you for example even have a business that is dependent upon the rise and fall of the news something like the stock market or the forex market yeah then in all fairness get a different job but no uh, absolutely no way on planet earth would you ever catch me reading a newspaper or watching a news report you know something like cnn you know constant negative news and yeah. the, the reason for that, if people, I've got a, a video on my YouTube channel, which is a 20 minute video that exposes the business model of the media. And yeah, if people haven't figured it out yet, yeah, it's all the same news. It just keeps happening to different people. So why, why yeah, shouldn't you? That's re- so interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah they, they have a, They have an MO, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you the very short version here for, for people and then just try it, try it for 10 days guys. Yeah. And then see that the the, the world will work. see, The mind attracts that which it dwells upon. Yeah, that's if you go to um, Napoleon Hill. Yeah, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Yeah, go to the greatest secret from Earl Nightingale. Yeah, you become what you think about most of the time. Yeah, go back to the religious teachings: "As a man thinks, so he becomes." Yeah, it's just it's emphatically yeah taught throughout human history. Now the challenge is the mind is like a compass needle. It can only point in one direction at a time. Even if you're thinking in like a multitasking kind of way, your compass needle is pointing rapidly in different directions, but you can't split the compass needle. The mind just can't do that. So if you take a compass needle and you take away all influences magnetically away from it, apart from the Earth's magnetic field, it will turn and point to its magnetic north. Now, how do you magnetize a compass needle by constantly stroking it from one end to the other, conditioning it to become magnetized? With me so far? Yes. Yeah. So human beings are programmable. We're magnetizable, if you like, by design. You know, we're cybernetic organisms. We are conditioned through our environment. It's just part of how we're made. So where is the compass needle of your mind pointing? Is it in a positive direction or a negative direction. Now, here's the challenge. Because we have a prefrontal cortex, we can take charge of that compass needle, just like we can actually take charge of our breathing. Now, breathing is the only human physiological function that we can either take charge of consciously, or we can hand it over to autopilot. And for most people, they hand it over to autopilot 95% of the time. But our thinking is the same. Our prefrontal cortex, it only operates 5% of the time, whereby it takes conscious control of what we choose to think. The other 95% of the time, it's on autopilot, just like our breathing. Now, when it's on autopilot, it will default to its conditioned magnetic north. So you can be super positive in the moment. You can go to a seminar, you can read a, a quote on Facebook that makes you smile and laugh. But as soon as you hand back your thinking, to the conditioned response, it's the needle's going to point to where it's been magnetized to most of the time. And the challenge with the media is that it is a constant magnetization of your compass needle of your thoughts into a negative direction. So you cannot be positive, happy, fulfilled, and unstressed if you constantly watch the news. Sorry, it's just I've never met one person. It's not going to happen. And if you are the million to one, good luck, Yeah, because you're probably lying. So I haven't haven't read a newspaper. I'll be totally honest here. I haven't read a newspaper. I haven't watched a news report in close to 15 plus years. I have absolutely no clue what is going on in the world, according to the media. I have every clue what's going on in my world. And if something's important enough on the outside, it finds me. Yeah. uh, If it affects me. It's like going to the Amazon at night. And you have a flashlight you say okay what do i want to look at well what's going on in the amazon everything what's going on in the world everything's going on in the world what do you want to choose to focus on where do you want to put that flashlight oh look here's a hummingbird giving birth or here's a frog being eaten by a snake take your pick everything's available but if you think that what the news represents as this micro sliver of a microcosm of a micro percentage of reality It's designed to do nothing more than stimulate a part of your brain called the amygdala, which bypasses conscious thought through negativity so that they can condition you to watch so you can become a statistic uh, for advertising because they're not a charity. Then you you need to wake up. And if you don't want to be positive and live a life of joy, fulfillment, and less stress, then by all means, go watch the media, go read a newspaper. But if you don't, just like coffee, try getting off it for 10 days and see for the first few days how hard it is and then tell me you've not been addicted unconsciously. Yeah.
2: I, I'm so glad I asked the question and I am so unbelievably thrilled we're having this conversation because I think every single person listening to this, if they think about how they feel when they're watching the news or listening to it or immediately after or even a couple of hours afterward, they will agree with everything that you just said. It it is there are so many people you know, you, when I'm out networking or, or socializing and the conversation is always around, boy, everyone's so angry. Everyone is just so tense, and so stressed. And that, Well, yeah, because you are getting this constant barrage of negativity. Who wouldn't be?
1: It's, it's it, predictable. It's like saying, oh, I, I'm going on to a, a really sunny climate and I can't believe it. My skin's getting darker and darker. What's happening? Well, no that's just how it's, it's built into the system you just hang around on the news you listen to news you read newspapers you are going to be conditioned to be negative more stress and why the world doesn't work rather than why it can it's just it, it's yeah. it's, a, it's a fact it's an inescapable fact the good news is you get to choose it's right. not as if you're thrown into a cell and and have you know, the news playing 24 7 with matchsticks on your eyelids it's, it's you know, choose but if you're sleeping awake yeah and and I, I don't say that the public are dumb. I say that they've been dumbed down. Yeah. Yeah. And when people recognize that, they have the choice to be able to take control.
2: Right, because we do have the choice of where we put our focus, where we put our energy, and, and how we choose to motor in this world, right, at this time later uh, our soul can do whatever but right now we absolutely have this choice
1: and we're here in earth school See, so what, what makes it work free will we have free will we we can always get to choose and nobody can do anything to you emotionally without your permission but if you're say if you go out in the sun you and you don't have on you know protection you're going to burn or you're going to get a tan over time it's just that it's you know it's a natural law we are cybernetic organisms. We are programmable by design. You know, evolution is built in something called habits so that we don't have to learn to walk every day. And you know, if you condition good habits, good mental habits, it's going to set you up for a lifetime of possibility. And if you don't, you're going to have a lifetime of asking the wrong questions because that's what you asked yesterday.
2: Right. Okay. When we talk about choice, uh, one of the topics that I hear a lot and it's one I've experienced uh, in good ways and in not so good ways. And it's about choosing a business partner. So, <laughs> right. Pulling, pulling this over into a specific business question, mm-hmm. what are the keys to choosing a, successfully uh, choosing a business partner?
1: Well, for, for a start, you've got to understand that there, there is no guarantees. Remember, yeah, so yeah. what may look great on, it's just like a relationship Yeah, in an intimate setting. Yeah. Oh, what's the key to choosing a perfect partner? Well, yeah. everybody that thought they chose a perfect partner before yeah, probably learned that that doesn't last too long or those better questions they should have asked or thought about. Anyway, bringing it into a context of stacking the odds more in your favor than not, which is about the best you can do. Uh, I, I use... Three things as a guideline. There are many more, but for the, for the time sake, and picking probably the most powerful that people could take and, and apply practically here. There's three things that I look for. And the first is an alignment of vision. If you guys don't have the same vision as to where you're heading, then you know, it's like getting in a car with two steering wheels and both of you are driving in different directions. Even if you think the initial place that you're driving to is, you know, is the same, but where's your long-term vision? Where's your vision for the next five years? A lot of people get into business together because they're excited about seeing where, you know, they both share the same vision as to what's around the next corner.
2: Yeah. But,
1: you know, what happens after that? You know, I remember having a, a two girls that I was coaching a while back. And, yeah, they came to me and said, look, you know, they were childhood friends. They went to college together. They they were both into dressmaking. They had a great, you know, uh, it was just a natural affinity for going into business together. They did the same course at college. But that was three years ago. And they're now fighting. They're bickering. And they, they wanted me to help sort it out. Anyway, we, went, we all went out and I sat down with them and I says, right. I listened to them for five minutes. I says, right, you write down what's your vision for the business. You write down what your vision for the business is. And then after I'd wrote it down, I gave them about 20 minutes. And I said, I don't want to see it, swap. And you could almost see the look on their faces looking, reading through and then looking up at the other person. I didn't know this is what you thought we were doing. Now, so alignment of visions is, is a huge part. But the second uh, key aspect of this is alignment of values. See, you may have the same vision in mind, but if you value, yeah, for example, significance higher than you know, uh, integrity, and oh. I value integrity higher than significance, we're going to have a problem because you're going to want to cut corners. Uh, and yeah, and we're, we're going to have a clash. If, if you value family more than you value freedom, then you're not going to want to work like And I'm going to start resenting it because I value freedom more than I value family. And I'm doing the extra hours, but we're 50-50. So uh, what are the values? And most people don't go into business and sit down and say, what are your values? One of the things I do, being honest, is I go to to lunch or dinner with a potential business partner. I look at how they treat the staff that serve us. Because that tells me a lot about whether they're coming from adding value or taking value. Yeah, are they coming from superiority, significance of ego, yeah, which is going to brush off on the staff? Are they coming from how do we raise the significance of others? Because I don't need it because I already have it. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a paradox. And if I get on stage, I'm speaking in front of 5,000 people. I don't care if they know my name. I'm there to be able to shift these people's worlds. I'm there to be able to add value. I'm trying to knock them out of their comfort zone, not to win awards for being popular. The irony is I I tend to get more standing ovations than (laughs) other speakers that are so desperately trying to get standing ovations. Not that I need it. You get the idea.
2: Truly, completely.
1: Okay, so I was going to Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead with the third one. Go ahead. The the third thing is simply an agreement between the business partners that there's no gray areas. In other words, um, yeah. We have the willingness to put everything on the table and talk about it. Nothing's off limits. No gray areas. If you've got an issue or issue, let's talk about it. Let's not let it fester. Yeah.
2: So, so one of my questions is: Does there have to be agreement initially, or, or a, um, how do I want to say this? A similar belief in how to get to the goal, or Does that come when the other three things are in place?
1: To be fair, again, the the how relies on the fact that you think you have certainty in how things will unfold. And if there's one thing you'll learn in business quickly is that the river winds in a very nonlinear direction. Uh, You do need to have alignment of vision. But how you get there, you need to be flexible because business is a pretty unregimented experience. So if you think, oh, I know how, we're going to do this, this, and this, and then the market changes, or your competitors you know, suddenly take away your competitive advantage or something shifts, flexibility is a far greater skill to have in business than a rigidity to a, a fixed direction or a fixed you know, a sort of uh, MO on a business plan. So with right. business plans, Diana, I'll, if again, if those that are looking to get into business, let, let me share with you my thoughts on a business plan. All yeah, business plans yeah. follow pretty much the same yeah, MO. Yeah, They overestimate income, they underestimate costs. At best, they're a guess, and at worst, they're fraud. Case closed. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never seen a business plan fail on paper, have you? No. But how no. many businesses fail? Oh. So, so the purpose of a business plan is pretty simple. It's to demonstrate to other people who are looking to invest in your deal that you have some remnant clue about what the hell it is you're about to do. That's, that's the purpose of a business plan. But as Muhammad Ali says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, So flexibility is a key issue there. And if you've got somebody that's got an alignment of of vision on the end goal, somebody that's got the same value structures you have and the ability for you to talk and discuss anything openly without getting your egos in the way, then that's probably a far better way of being able to select a business partner and a a methodology to proceed with than going on the equivalent of match.com for business partners.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. Do you think uh, this may sound like a really strange question, but w- would you advise or does it really not matter? Um, it depends on the individuals for, uh, spouses to go into business together.
1: Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have experience in, in you know, both sides of the fence here. Uh, here's the challenge. Yeah from my experience. A lot of people, and and usually more the the women's side, and this is no criticism for, for women at all, but just in it as a gross generalization, which is all it is, women tend to have a harder time separating the identity and roles within the power dynamics of business and in the home. In other words, let's just say you have an argument in the office, a guy, just because generally speaking, how masculine energy is wired, tends to find it easier to switch out of that when he goes home, but then wonders why his wife's not talking to him or is sleeping <laughs> in bed,
2: right?
1: Um, and that's no criticism. It's because women have a, 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 tend to have a stronger um, a predisposition for empathy and nutritive yeah, sort of connection than men do. You know, if a guy argues with his buddy, it's like seeing two ducks on a pond. You know, They have a big squabble, they shake their feathers, and three seconds later, they're, their friends are eating out the same thing. Right. Yeah, and, and again, this is a gross generalization. I'm—I'm—I I'm, yeah. don't want to say all men or all women. That's just naive. But if—if if guys are going into business thinking that they can have a yeah a, a go at their partner and expect the partner to say, "Well, that was just when we were at work," it doesn't happen that often. And so guys need to grow up emotionally and recognize that yeah, uh, if you can have a a set of rules a set of guidelines, a conversation about what happens if we disagree at work. What ritual do we have when we go home that we then are able to take off the business hats and put on the husband and wife hat, the partner hat, the lover's hat, whatever it is. Yeah, let's have a demarcation. Are we able to change out of our business clothes and put on casual clothes? Are we able to have a ceremony, a a, a hug, whatever it may be? Where we are no longer, yeah, co-directors. We're no longer. I'm the boss. You're the you know, I'm the CEO, and you're the CFO. There's, because that's going to have a problem if you don't try to put rules around addressing it up front. Um, because it adds an extra layer of, um, you know, challenge when it comes to separating the in- intimacy there. Because intimacy has its own deals to deal with, its own issues. And if you try to carry on an argument you had, or if the wife turns around because she's playing the role of CEO, for example, and that's the power dynamic, yeah, or you're both 50-50 partners and you have a disagreement, yeah, it's, you need to have some level of emotionally mature way of dealing with that in advance so that it doesn't threaten the, the, the sacrosanct you know, intimacy of the relationship. And I'm not saying it'll work every time. But I'm saying if you don't address it or have something that um, yeah, uh, uh, is, is a, a way to, to mitigate it, you're setting yourself up to lose, not up to win. Now, does that mean to say that husband and wives or partners shouldn't go into business? No, not at all. I mean, you can have so many upsides to that. You've got a layer of trust that you can't get with somebody that's not your partner. You've got a layer of, of you know, sort of um, knowing the other person inside out. So you know, strengths, weaknesses, laws, gifts that you can't get the other way uh, on, on the outside of that. So there are many gifts that you can have by being a husband and wife team or you know partners. But just know that it brings an extra level of complexity when it comes to friction or disagreements.
2: Thank you for that. And I totally agree. I think having the plan up front, talking about these things up front, as opposed to And and the same is really true with a business partner who is not your spouse, that as you said, when we go toward the excitement, but we don't take the time up front to make sure that um, that we have synergy on those three main points and that we have talked through all of these things so we know them and we've come to agreement about how we're going to deal with things that may never come up. But yep. it's better to have that process and that plan because a lot of times the reason why things fall apart is because you don't have that up front. And so it unravels and you don't know how to deal with it because you haven't talked about how
1: you 100%. 100%. And it's like, it's the same thing I teach you. A good shareholder's agreement is worth its weight in gold. Ideally, it stays in the bottom drawer and you never open the drawer. But things change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, over half the people that make a lifelong commitment to each other to be you know, <clears throat> together till death do us part, don't follow that commitment. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a, a good shareholders agreement, what happens if you're in business, not, not, I'm not saying this is, um, uh, we're back in the spousal side, but let's say two different business partners come together, they both look a great team fit, they both bring stuff to the table, alignment of vision, alignment of values. And seven years down the line, the partner of one of the business partners gets a terminal illness, or causes that business partner to have to spend a huge amount of time out of the office or puts them under financial strain. And now they're in a position where they can't contribute the same amount, but you still agreed on the same pay. Or let's say they, they get jilted by a partner that leaves them and they set up a gambling habit. And now all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they there's a different dynamic there. Do you have, protocols in place for those kind of eventualities? Or are you running forward on the Pollyanna forever deal thinking that, well, hopefully that won't happen to me. Get it in a shareholders agreement upfront, make it fair. And uh, you can have like a Russian roulette clause, for example. Again, that means that if you're in a position where now I'm, you know, I've, uh, I've got other financial issues uh, what have you, my, my house burned down and my insurance policy wasn't covered and now I'm, I'm desperate for money and my business partner decides to make an offer for me on my shares in the business, knowing that I'm desperate, then <clears throat> that's a scenario I've seen many times. But if you've got a Russian roulette, a Russian roulette clause in your shareholders agreement, that means that whatever offer that your business partners offer to you, you have the right to spin that around pro rata and buy their shares off them. Uh, for the same amount. Same
2: amount. Wow. So they
1: have so therefore they're incentivized to give a fair offer no matter what circumstances you may be subjected to at the time that would normally give them leverage to try to squeeze you on a better deal. Does that make sense?
2: It does. Wow. Yeah, I never would have thought of that. But see? Okay. (laughs) It's a great wow.
1: Okay. A good lawyer a good lawyer that can create a good shareholders agreements worth his weight in gold. When you go into business with somebody or invite somebody into your business, get, get it in writing again, ideally all things equal. It stays in the drawer. You never open the drawer, but if there's a time to open the drawer, you're going to wish there was something in there that looks after you. You bet.
2: You bet. And it just, it preserves relationships. It preserves your future. It's absolutely right. Now, um, I'm gonna say somewhat along the same lines. What would you say is the fastest way to go broke in business?
1: (laughs) One one of my favorite quotes from Warren Buffett, to be fair, uh, said that with enough inside information and a million dollars, you can go bankrupt in a year. Um, So yeah, listening to other people's unqualified opinion would certainly be up there. Uh, Getting sucked into marketing promises is definitely up there. Believing your own BS is definitely up there. Um, Not understanding the needs and requirements of your customers and being willing to exceed them is definitely up there. I mean, yeah, pick your poison. Yeah, Yeah, And so uh, being undercapped and not having enough creative thinking to sidestep the need for cash. And I teach something called financial creativity where most people, the challenge is that they go into a business undercapped. and Yeah, but they don't have the financial creativity to be able to put something in place that you know would mean that they can get the result that they want even without spending money yeah, and <clears throat> yeah it's uh, you know for a very simple example excuse me, I, um, I had a friend of mine call me it says I want to borrow twenty thousand bucks now he was a flower seller and he wanted the 20,000 bucks to buy another market store, the other side of town, which was established. The person was retiring. Everybody knew that was the other flower store. And the guy said, look, I'll offer you my pitch for 20 grand. The bank wouldn't lend him the money because there's no security in the store. He wanted to try to borrow it. I'm like, why are you borrowing that? I'm like, who else would benefit if you got that store other than the current owner and the customers and yourself? Okay, what about the suppliers? Now, what are you spending currently on your, your wholesale? About you know, 125,000 a year. says, okay, so if you got the other store, what would you be? He says, at least double. So, a quarter of a million. So, you go to your wholesaler and you say, hey, look, well, I've got the chance to double my wholesale output to you to a quarter of a million a year. I'm going to sell you the exclusive right of supply for five grand. And if they say no, you walk down the street to their competitor. Now, what, what wholesaler is not going to secure a quarter of a million in business for 5,000? Right. Hey, you take that five thousand to the person who's retiring and say, "Look, you know, I don't want to give you twenty grand. I want to give you twenty-five, but I want to spread it over twelve months. And by the way, yeah, that gives you twenty-five percent interest, which is more than you'd ever get in a bank. And here's a five grand deposit. I mean, win-win. Just wow, think about how you is- can be creative. And I can give you twenty examples like that, most of which I've used myself in building companies when I had no money." So it's, it's always the challenge. Instead of asking yourself, how can I get money? Ask yourself, how can I add value? And you'll always come up with some level of being creative that could possibly sidestep the fact that you don't have a, you know, a checkbook, so therefore you think you're stuck. So you know, get creative rather than think you need to spend money. Now, I just recently had an opportunity for some uh, education and uh, an, uh, an ideal opportunity. And I went to, to two guys, it was about a 20 grand investment. I said, guys, hey, listen, yeah. Uh, rather than spend 20 grand. How about, you know, I went to one guy says, how about we go halves? No problem. All right. And then I went to another person who could benefit on the back end and says, Hey, how about we go halves? And we just, you know, we put a mastermind together to be able to use what it is that we learn. So I get you know 20 grand worth of education and a mastermind without putting my hand in my pocket. Right. Yeah, And they're happy as Larry. It's cost them 50% of what they'd normally do and they get a mastermind. That's yeah, Hello. <laughs>
2: I, do, I so love this because it's so, um, it's all about asking different questions, as you said at the beginning, and uh, asking better questions and um, being po- a possibilities thinker and, and really being expansive in your thinking instead of the same old, same old, the usual, the status quo sort of thinking.
1: Yep. It's, it just takes a little shift in thinking. And by the way, if you've got a mindset that's conditioned as to why the world doesn't work, in other words, why I can't rather than how I can, because you're subject to the media, you're never going to be thinking like that.
2: Right, right, for sure. Wow, this is so great. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and really appreciate you uh, spending time with me. And I know the listeners um, have gotten a ton out of this. Can you share with them, you know, how they can find you and how they can get your book and anything you think they need to know?
1: Certainly. Well, I, I have a lot of stuff out there on YouTube, which I put out for free just to try to help as many people as possible. Um, I, I do some coaching and some programs, which you can find information on my website at petersage.com. But I guess one of the things I'm most proud of is the latest book, which is out there. It's called The Inside Track. And yeah, we didn't have time to get into the circumstances around it, but it is a, uh, an inspirational guide to conquering adversity. It's How do you become your best when life gives you its worst? And it's really the 11 letters that I wrote last year Uh, when I I found myself completely unexpectedly uh, held in contempt on a civil action, which I I just didn't give credibility for, and found myself as the only non-criminal as a civil inmate in Britain's toughest jail for six months. And yeah, and uh, learned some amazing lessons. But the letters that I wrote to my high-level coaching clients, showing them how I was dealing with it, what are the best resources that I could pull out that I've spent 30 years learning so that I could not only walk in there smiling. I never even walked in there as a prisoner. You had know, the identity I had walking in was a secret agent of change and how I was able to change lives, change the system, win national awards and essentially completely transform the prison from the inside within just a few months and have one of the most incredible adventures I've ever had the privilege of living.
2: Wow, this is a must read.
1: Uh, it's on audible uh, as well uh, I okay. do the voiceover and yeah it's it's a I've had very blessed to say I've had nothing but five-star reviews it went Amazon um, uh, bestseller in two hours Amazon number one in four hours we sold to 25 countries on the first day and the feedback so far has been absolutely yeah, mind-blowing we just signed a movie deal for it as well which we had in a couple of years and uh, yeah very uh, very excited and we talk about Every adversity carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Uh, it's nice to be able to demonstrate that. But the book itself okay. is literally a how to manual for dealing with anything you have that life throws at you part journal, part secret source, part you couldn't make it up, but it's true. And I'd be honored yeah. if anybody wants to go get a copy. It's on ebook, Kindle, iBooks, Amazon, etc.
2: Oh, terrific. Wow. It is so great. And, and I am just so, as I said, thrilled that you spent time with me today sharing your viewpoint and your insights and these incredible um, just ways of looking at the world. I took all sorts of notes, which means I'm pretty sure so did the listeners and they will continue to get value out of it. This is one of those episodes you listen to a couple of times. Uh, So again, thank you uh, so much for taking some time to be with me today.
1: Diane, it's my absolute pleasure, and thank you for putting on such a, a great medium for people that are looking to you know, move forward in the world of entrepreneurship. It's, it's much needed, and I'm, I'm thankful for the fact you put it together.
2: Oh, well, thank you, and I'd like to thank the listeners because those are the folks we're doing this for, mm-hmm. as well as our sponsor. If you would like to get a free trial of audible.com and get a free audio book, you know, then you can get The Inside Track by Peter Sage, which would be a great idea. Go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to sign up for that trial. As always, continue to prosper and be curious, and as Peter says, ask better questions. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.
1: Me, 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 but also you.